wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Just like that, April is over, and the month of May is finally upon us. And what a month it's going to be. Not only am I graduating from the master's program I'm currently enrolled in next Saturday, and not only is it Alexis's birthday in a few short weeks, happy early birthday, baby, if you're listening to this, uh, we also have two great shows on the horizon for the month of May. First, Money in the Bank, which the build has indeed left a lot to be desired up to this point, but I have faith it's going to be a good show. I was at Money in the Bank last year. Money in the Bank almost always delivers uh, at least an entertaining event, if nothing else. And I will be there this year as well, as it's emanating live from Hartford on May 19th. Uh, the first pay-per-view that Hartford is getting since, God, 2004 maybe? I want to say Vengeance 2004, a full 15 years ago, which is absolutely unreal. And I don't blame WWE for not coming back to Hartford for a big pay-per-view. We're not exactly the hottest crowd you'll have, but it's still a great environment nonetheless. Should be a very fun time. And then mere days after that, I will be at the AEW Double or Nothing pay-per-view in Las Vegas. My first time in the City of Sins uh, on May 25th. It's going to be a great weekend, Memorial Day weekend. That full five to seven day span is going to be fucking nuts. Like I said, graduating next Saturday. Then we have the 19th, Money in the Bank. Alexis's birthday is two days removed from that, so early birthday gifts if you're thinking about him for her birthday on the 21st. And then mere days after that, I'm flying out to Vegas Friday morning with Mr. Marceau for Double or Nothing. We'll be there Friday, Saturday, leaving Sunday. The, sh- the show's on Saturday. So again, the month of May is going to be crazy, but the good kind of crazy. April is awesome too, don't get me wrong. We were at WrestleMania for the first weekend of April. Not just Mania, as we talked about here on the show before, Alexis and I, we were at Mania, G1 Supercard, Raw, WrestleCon, Access, NXT, TakeOver New York. It was a wild, 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 amazing weekend, and I'm looking forward to the month of May being more of the same. And also, Avengers Endgame, I talked about that at length last week here on the show, and I'm still reeling from the emotional roller coaster that was the culmination of 22 movies in 11 years in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For my full thoughts on it, I will not reveal them here. I just thought the movie was fucking phenomenal. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the threshold is, by the way, for spoilers on Endgame, because the movie came out last Thursday, Friday. I saw it with a sneak peek, for the sneak peek, with a group of friends last Thursday. Uh, The movie's been out for pretty much a full week at this point by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I would say, you know, I've seen a lot of people tweet spoilers on Twitter, since, like, Monday. I think Monday is fair. You're still kind of a dick if you tweet spoilers for those who have not seen it. I had a friend who saw it on Monday night. So not everyone can get to the theater on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend the movie comes out. Some people are away. Some people are busy. There's weddings. There's a lot of stuff going on this time of the year. So I don't blame people for not seeing the movie outright last weekend. A lot of people obviously went to go see it. It made $1.2 billion at the box office worldwide which is fucking unbelievable. Um, I'm hoping it beats out Avatar, because fuck Avatar. I think it's one of the most overrated movies of all time. So hopefully it beats out Avatar. It's going to be a tall task, though. Avatar currently sits at $2.7 billion uh, for its entire release. Not opening weekend, of course. Uh, I think Endgame beat that pretty quickly. I'm not sure what the opening weekend was for Avatar, but Endgame beat that its own record set by Infinity War last year with like $600 million. So it beat it by a wide margin uh, this past weekend. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it does in the weeks to come. I think it's one of those movies you have to see multiple times. I've already actually seen it twice. I saw it Thursday night, and then I wasted no time in seeing it for a second time Friday afternoon. And I'll likely be seeing it at least one more time this weekend. And I'm going to go see it a few times after that as well. I think I saw Infinity War in theaters Four and a half, five times. And I say four and a half because I left halfway through because I think I had to work or something. I had to leave for work. 
Um, so I'm hoping I can beat even that record by going to see this movie six times. So I'm still, I, I still got to catch up, see it another uh, four times. But it's well worth it because the movie is amazing. It may not be as great if you have not been following the MCU. So I do implore you to watch. I honestly would recommend watch every MCU movie up to this point. It's going to be a long weekend for you if you do that because the movies are long and there's a lot of them. But to truly appreciate and understand Endgame, you got to watch all the other MCU movies. So like I was saying before, I got sidetracked. Um, for my full spoiler-filled review of the movie, alongside Jamie Lee Mack, who was here on WrestleRant Radio with me about a year ago, and for a full half hour, we talked all things Infinity War, had a great time doing it too, Endgame review is no different, we talked for a full hour this time, double the review, double the spoilers, double the excitement for Endgame, so check it out here on the channel, the video went up on Tuesday afternoon, so if you have yet to see Endgame, obviously don't watch it. Endgame is way better if you have not been spoiled yet, so stay off of social media, I don't know how you could do that, the movie's been out now for a week, so it's a fucking landmine on social media now, trying to avoid spoilers for the movie, but definitely go see it if you haven't already, Endgame was awesome, but with all that being said, this is WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, May 2nd, 2019, I am Graham G.S. and Matthews, hope you guys are doing well, if you want to check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio, you could do so by simply searching up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You can rate the show, you can review the show, you can subscribe to the show. You get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013, the show's debut, and every new episode on Thursdays. And they're also available, of course, on nextairwrestling.net if you don't want to take the easy route and simply subscribe to the show on iTunes. But uh, yeah, we got a pretty decent show ahead for this week. Always excited to talk all things wrestling here on the show, but the week of WWE left a lot to be desired. Today we're talking Raw and SmackDown for Monday and Tuesday. I'll give my thoughts real quick on Impact's Rebellion pay-per-view from this past Sunday, which I thought was a very enjoyable event, all things considered. But we got to kick off with this. Way more exciting, important, and just flat-out fascinating than anything I saw on Raw and SmackDown this week was the return of John Moxley. Uh, to Twitter and to the independent scene on Tuesday night. So around 12.05, and I specifically say that time period, uh, that that time, because it was after midnight, you know, April bled into May, Tuesday bled into Wednesday, and now Dean Ambrose, I would assume, is officially a free agent. Dean Ambrose is Dean Ambrose no more, now officially John Moxley once again. And the Twitter world blew up as soon as this announcement was made, within minutes getting thousands upon thousands of retweets and likes. And the last time I checked, it's probably well past this at this point, I checked it out Wednesday morning, had 36,000 likes on Twitter. And this marks Dean Ambrose's first tweet since almost 2012. So quick story for you. Dean Ambrose signed up for Twitter, and he doesn't really, you know, jump out as me, jump out to me as a Twitter guy. He just really doesn't. Of all the people who are not on Twitter, fucking The Undertaker is on Twitter and Instagram now. Dean Ambrose is not. The only way he's on social media is if one of his buddies from The Shield or Renee Young, his wife, is tweeting or posting about him. He himself has never really posted. He did, again, create a Twitter for a brief feud with Mick Foley that went nowhere in early 2012. Um, I think that feud, according to Mick Foley, in his book and various podcasts and whatnot, Mick Foley has said and gone on the record in saying that that feud was supposed to lead to Dean Ambrose's main roster debut, but because either, I mean, a few different factors here. One, Ambrose went a bit too far in calling out Mick Foley and kind of making things personal by targeting his family, which Foley did not really appreciate. That's not the reason why the feud was scrapped, though. The real reason why the feud was scrapped was because Mick Foley had gone to a doctor around that point and was told, you probably shouldn't wrestle anymore. You're done. Foley was involved in the 2012 Royal Rumble match. And unless he wrestled again on the independent scene after that, then I'm not aware. This is like a two-month stretch here, so I don't think so. Foley has not wrestled another match since. He was forced to call it quits. He was one of those people that was told by the doctors, your career is over. Now, granted, Mick Foley was not exactly a regular on the wrestling scene by that point. Uh, He was not doing indie shows, wrestling every fucking weekend and shit like that. He has largely been retired now for close to a decade. Now, he's had more retirements than probably anyone with the exception of Terry Funk. Um, he retired at WrestleMania 2000, or rather at, Wrestle, or at No Way Out 2000, then WrestleMania 2000, and then Backlash 2004. 
then WrestleMania 22 in 2006, at the Royal Rumble 2008, in Impact, again in WWE. It's been absolute madness for Mick Foley. Uh, what I'm trying to get at here is that Dean Ambrose was all over Twitter during this point in his feud with Mick Foley, kind of going a bit too far and calling out Foley and his family and stuff like that. Um, he has since deleted, or soon after that, deleted all the tweets, which there weren't many of them to begin with. I think the only tweet that was available was like a retweet from a fan or something. Because he never went on the Twitter account. He deleted the tweets, and but the account was still up. The tweets were gone, but not the not the uh, account itself. So the account stayed active. It was at the Dean Ambrose. In WWE, for whatever reason, whenever Ambrose would come out and whenever they would you know advertise something on social media involving Ambrose, they would tag his account at the Dean Ambrose. Maybe hoping he would eventually use it. I'm not sure. Months and then years went by without Ambrose using the account. I mean, it was pretty evident by like 2013, 2014, 2015 even that he was not returning to Twitter. He had no intentions of ever using social media. Again, doesn't really jump out at me as a social media guy, so I can totally understand that. It was actually kind of cool. Ambrose maintained a certain mystique by not being on Twitter. Now, technically he was because he had an account, deleted the tweets, but just never really used it. So he technically was on Twitter, but it always boggled my mind why people would follow an account that was no longer active. He has since amounted, or, you know, had nearly 500,000 followers on his Twitter for a guy that never tweeted once since 2012. Maybe people were hoping or were clinging on to false hope. I'm not exactly sure. Or just because, you know, the WWE fan base being the sheep that we are, um, followed the account because WWE told us to follow the account on Raw every week when it would pop up under his name on during his entrance, blah, 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 you know, and, and stuff like that. They would tag him in tweets and people would be like, oh, I didn't know Dean Ambrose had a Twitter. It's because he, he technically didn't, really didn't. He never used it. He never logged in again. And that was it until this past week. So Dean Ambrose, after like seven different farewells in WWE, finally bid farewell to the universe, the WWE universe back at the Shields final chapter event, which I talked about a week or two here on the show. I think it was last week. Um, it was about a week and a half ago the event happened on the WWE Network. It was like a house show. I think that was Ambrose's final match in WWE. Reunited with Rollins and Reigns to beat Corbin McIntyre and Lashley in six-man tag team action. Kind of an anticlimactic ending for the Dean Ambrose character, but whatever. It's been rumored and reported and flat out, you know, told us, you know, uh, said to us that Ambrose was on his way out of WWE in April of 2019. His contract ended last month. It's officially May now. In April of 2019, uh, it was not directly said like what day, you know, his contract expired. I know his profile on WWE.com was moved to the alumni section soon after the Shield's final chapter last Sunday, or about a week and a half ago at this point. So that, you know, that happens. Usually that's the telltale sign that someone is officially a free agent and is no longer under the WWE umbrella. Now, obviously they've done this before. Uh, when people, they do this with, with storylines and stuff like that. I think they did it recently with, God, I don't know. They did it with someone a few months ago, maybe Kevin Owens, who or you know, someone like that who was like fired from WWE or like Owens quit WWE. So he was moved to the alumni section before he, you know, came back the very next week and he was moved at, back to the Raw roster on WWE.com, stuff like that. But this, I think a lot of people assumed was real. Um, so based off the looks of it, From the looks of it, it looks like Ambrose's contract expired literally at midnight on Tuesday, bleeding in from April 30th to May 1st. Once the clock hit midnight and May 1st um, had officially arrived, Ambrose was now a free agent, and he wasted no time in posting a video to his new Twitter account, which it's the same account, Um, but at, or I think it's not at, but I think it's at John Moxley. I forgot what the exact handle is, but he's back on Twitter. Uh, No caption included but a video was posted of Ambrose, from the looks of it, uh, escaping a prison and standing inside of a cell and escaping and making his way through the city, whatever city it might be. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what I took that as was not him like, oh, the prison was WWE. And it very well could have been. I've seen people say that. That was various people's theories. Was that Ambrose was escaping the prison that was WWE. Ooh, how edgy. That's cool and all. I took it as him escaping the Ambrose Asylum. I mean, I guess it was more of a prison than it was an asylum, so I guess that other people's theories make more sense, whatever. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I took it as the Ambrose Asylum, which he's been tied to since his WWE run began. They've been using this Ambrose Asylum bullshit catchphrase for him for years now. And it never really made much sense. Just because, um, you know, just because he never really came off as a lunatic. He never really came off as crazy more often than not. Maybe for like a week or two, like five years ago. But that was about it. But the video, if you have not seen it, it's about an hour, an hour, I wish. It was about a minute and 20 seconds long. And uh, again, like I said earlier, it just blew up on Twitter. People went fucking nuts when they saw this. That John Moxley is now back on the independency. Now, I laugh at all the reports in retrospect that were saying, oh, wait, Ambrose isn't going anywhere. He's taking time off from wrestling, of course. I think people take speculation from people like Dave Meltzer. They don't really report these things. I think they merely speculate these things, but various websites like fucking Ringside News and websites like that who are absolute trash take these things and run with them as reports. They're not reports. They don't believe them to be true. These journalists, uh, news, wrestling news reporters, whatever you want to call them, are merely speculating what the future of Dean Ambrose holds. And they were wrong. And I honestly thought he might take time off from wrestling too. But of course, that's not the case because he would not go through the trouble of securing the Twitter account and changing the handle and posting this video as John Moxley if he was not coming back to the independent wrestling scene very, very soon. Now, speaking of said video, during the video, it was revealed at one point, I think he's standing inside the cell and he's looking at the wall and a pair of dice appear. Now, I've seen this theory passed around on Twitter and I bring it up because it might be valid. And this might be people just wearing their fucking tinfoil hats and being conspiracy theorists and whatnot. But on the wall, you see a pair of dice, which are die, dice, whatever. Uh, which isn't that out of the ordinary. And you would automatically assume that it would mean, oh, double or nothing, because dice, Las Vegas, you know, whatever, uh, double or nothing, that's where it's going to be emanating from. His hometown, he's from Las Vegas. That's not where he's from, but he lives in Las Vegas. He's actually from, like, Cincinnati or some other place in Ohio. He lives in Las Vegas. So not only do we see dice appear, but on the dice it says, or not it says, but the numbers two and five appear. The dice are on uh, a two for one and a five on the other. It's like, okay, so what's the significance of that? Well, double or nothing taking place on May 25th, May 2-5. Is it a coincidence? It very well could be. But certain things I think are done by design. And I'm not sure. I feel like if he was going to appear double or nothing, it would be left as a surprise because they've already sold out the fucking place. So who cares at this point what they advertise? I would hope someone the caliber of Dean Ambrose would be kept a surprise. And honestly, it's a very real possibility that Dean Ambrose could show up in AEW just because, again, he lives in Las Vegas. He was probably creatively frustrated in WWE. And going elsewhere kind of gives him a new lease on life here. Dean Ambrose was stagnant in WWE for such a long time. To the point where that long layoff that he had due to injury in late 2017, and then for the majority of 2018, was like a blessing in disguise. Now, you never want to see anyone get hurt, but for the time that he was away, he felt fresh when he came back. For maybe a month, before they watered him down, made him a background player in the Shield. He turned heel, kind of on a whim, which was cool, but the follow-up was atrocious. He was never really able to be the heel that we knew him to be, um, that he, we, we knew that he could be in WWE. That was a watered-down and disappointing feud that he had with Seth Rollins. He won the Intercontinental Championship for a fucking month, had a uh, less-than-stellar run in the Rumble. He reunited with the Shield, which was cool, was not even at WrestleMania. And that was about it. That was it for Dean Ambrose in WWE, and then he kind of did some appearances on Raw and then at house shows in the weeks that followed, and that wrapped up his run in WWE. So I would not be surprised if he was to go elsewhere to another promotion or just merely make independent wrestling appearances because uh, that's what he loves to do. That's what he was known for before coming to WWE many years ago, before they, you know, uh, scooped him up and signed him to a deal back in, I think, 2011, 2010, 2011. Dean Ambrose, then known as John Moxley, was one of the biggest stars in the entire independent scene. So, returning to his roots as an indie star is huge, because he's going to make fucking bank from doing shows like that, which is awesome. But yeah, uh, John Moxley is back, but where does he land? Where does he go? I think is the ultimate question right now. And people were asking this even before he, became officially, uh, before he officially became a free agent. 
This has kind of been the question now for a while. I have may even talked about this uh, a few weeks back here in the podcast, a few months ago, whatever. I'm bringing it up again here now because it's we now know for a fact that his intentions are clear to return to the independent team. Before, it was kind of like a pipe dream. Okay, look, if he's not, you know, a lot of people thought he would take a sabbatical from professional wrestling or just retire altogether, um, a lot like CM Punk has, seemingly. He was not wrestled a match, you know, officially anyway, in like over five years. Punk is probably never coming back to the squared circle, at least not in WWE. Ambrose could return to WWE down the road, but a lot of people thought, okay, he just needs a break from WWE and just wrestling on the whole, but... Clearly, that's not the case because he wasted no time in announcing himself as a free agent on social media. The mere minutes removed from when his deal likely expired in WWE, which I think is awesome. So, John Moxley, where does he go? There's a lot of different op- there's a lot of different options now, which I think is cool. Now more than ever, there are so many different places that professional wrestlers can go, making WWE not the be all end all. WWE is not the ultimate destination for everyone. Now, there are people like Ricochet that would love nothing more than to be in WWE. That was made clear when he went there, signed there, and it had as a pretty he's had a pretty damn good run for himself in NXT now and on the main roster. A lot of people, though, they are like, eh, we don't really need to go to WWE. The Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody really has no intentions of going back. He's had deals offered to him, I'm sure he has, to come back to the company, considering how big of a star he's become in his time away. But at the same time, there are other options now. There are many different blooming and blossoming and I I don't know why I'm using those words specifically, but flourishing professional wrestling companies where you may not be making as much money as you would be in WWE. AEW maybe, depending on the caliber of star that you are. Um, But you would likely be a lot happier. And if you're you know, making your bookings, if you're, if you're doing the right bookings and doing the right amount of appearances and kind of keeping yourself special and whatnot and making the rounds and whatever, like the Young Bucks were two of the biggest workhorses and the entire independence scene before they went to AEW, before they helped uh, create AEW All Elite Wrestling, they were making the rounds. They were making more money on the indies than they likely would have been in WWE because of all the appearances they were making and how special they felt. They were a part of many big promotions like Ring of Honor, New Japan. They sold their merchandise, all this other stuff. Dean Ambrose does not need WWE. For the amount of money they were likely offering him to stick around, and whether this is accurate or not, we'll likely never know. But it was reported many months ago, soon after the reports came out that Dean Ambrose was on his way out, they were offering him like a $5 million deal, which... I don't know if I believe that necessarily. Not many people get like in the million dollar range. Obviously, John Cena's, the Brock Lesnar's of the world, maybe even a Roman Reigns. Dean Ambrose, I find that hard to believe. Unless it was like per year, unless it was like a million per year, which that would make sense. Five million, I mean, hey, maybe it's an accurate stat. I don't know. That to me just doesn't seem realistic. Um, At the same time, though, he turned it down. Money does not buy happiness. We saw that this past week. With the Revival, who I'll talk more about in a few minutes, uh, when it comes to uh, how they've been treated and how they're following a similar path to Dean Ambrose, but they're not, you know, WWE clear for like another year or so, which is a long, long time. But anyway, uh, when it comes to Dean Ambrose, there's a lot of different places that would love to have him, and I could see him, you know, popping up in many different promotions. Uh, I would love to see him make the rounds a lot like Austin Aries did. Like at one point, Aries was making appearances for Ring of Honor and Impact and appearing at several big promotions across the country and the globe. He was appearing in PCW and companies like that. I don't know what he's doing nowadays. I have not seen him in Ring of Honor or Impact for a while. I don't know if that was because of the incident that he was involved in late last year. I have no clue. But what I'm trying to get out of here is Dean Ambrose is a very hot commodity right now. Probably as hot as he was five years ago when he first turned babyface, embarked on a singles run, and it was said at the time that his merch sales were almost up there with John Cena. He was coming pretty damn close. His hoodies were selling like fucking hotcakes on WWE Shop, and uh, I don't know how long this will last. This could be a very short-lived thing where someone like a Jack Swagger or a Ryback hit the indies and... You know, they're pretty popular for a few months. It's like, oh, I've been watching these people in WWE for so long that it's cool to see them on the indies. I'll pay to go see them and meet them. But after a year or so, it's like, okay, I've seen them do all the indies. I really have no desire to see them anymore. Cody was able to maintain that momentum. And 
kind of snowball that into a lot of success in Ring of Honor, New Japan, NWA, and now AEW. Dean Ambrose, I think, will be a lot like Cody. I think he's going to be a lot like Cody, where he can remain popular outside of WWE. And it's not a short-lived phase, and I'm not exactly sure what Ambrose's plans for the future are. If it's like a one- or two-year run, and then he retires on his own and kind of rides off in the sunset, into the sunset, which sounds a lot like Ambrose, or something that Ambrose would do. Um, I think he should ride this for as long as humanly possible. Because again, the guy's a former WWE champion, United States champion, intercontinental champion, tag team champion, Mr. Money in the Bank. He had a lot of success in WWE. We could talk all we want about how he was, you know, underutilized or badly booked, but Ambrose was a big star under the WWE umbrella. And now where does he go? There's a lot of different options. Ring of Honor sticks out to me as a possibility. AEW would be the most prominent, but I'll save that for last. Uh, I'm just kind of talking about the other options for right now. Ring of Honor, I think, would be cool. I do not know if Ambrose ever once wrestled in ROH. I'm sure at least one or two matches, but he was never a Ring of Honor guy as far as I understand. I do not immediately associate him with the Ring of Honor. Whenever I see the Ring of Honor opening video packages and stuff like that, promoting stars that came out of ROH, people like Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles even. I don't see Dean Ambrose because he's not an ROH guy. I don't think he really cut his teeth in that promotion. But him and ROH would be cool. ROH has some money to spend right now. They lost the Young Bucks and Cody and a lot of big stars in late 2017, SCU, Adam Page. Now they have spent some of that budget on newcomers like Roosh, and Bandito, Mark Haskins, Tracy Williams, Juice Robinson, a lot of the people part of uh, Lifeblood right now, which is cool, and they're all great, you know, gets. They're all great gets for Ring of Honor. But Ambrose would be the crown jewel of that company if he was to join. A lot like Jay Lethal has been. Jay Lethal has been the guy in ROH, I would argue, for the last four years. He has been the standard bearer of that company. But they need more main event players. Um, Flip Gordon is great, but he's not quite there yet. Kenny King does not feel like that guy. For as talented as he is, he does not feel like the successor to the throne of Ring of Honor. Uh, which is why I feel like Ring of Honor cannot afford to lose Jay Lethal, because without him, they don't really have that face of the company. Um, I'm trying to think who else they really even have. Bully Ray is not that guy. Obviously, he's past his prime. He's still a great character, but not a main event level player. Adam Page could have been that guy had he stuck around, but he went on with his friends in AEW. Marty Skrull would have been cool, but he's just, he's obviously on his way out. He is AEW bound. I think that's pretty obvious by this point, based off the amount of times that he's been beaten in ROH um, for the world title specifically. So he's not going to be sticking around. Uh, there was someone else that I was thinking of. Matt Taven does not really feel like that guy. I know he is the current Ring of Honor world champion. Great talent to have doesn't feel like the face of ROH. Neither does Dalton Castle. He had his run too a few years ago as Ring of Honor World Champion. Did well in the role, but he wasn't the guy. He was not the guy at all. So I think Dean Ambrose could be that guy to fill that role of GA Lethal. I think he... It was recently reported that he had re-signed to the Ring of Honor, and I don't know how much longer that deal will last when it's up, if it's a year-to-year thing. I do not know. But having Dean Ambrose there would be pretty cool, and he could have a lot of great matches with the members of that Ring of Honor roster. Uh, people like Jay Lethal, Kenny King, Dalton Castle, Marty Skrull before he leaves, people like that. Um, that's not even close to being a slam dunk. Uh, being a slam dunk, I do not see him going to Ring of Honor, but it's an option. Probably better so than Impact, which has zero buzz right now. In Impact's credit, to Impact's credit, I will say this. Um, they have acquired some pretty big names in the last year or so. Austin Aries being one of them. After he left WWE in 2017, he came back to Impact for a while. Um, you know, for the better part of 2018, had a pretty good run as world champion. The Lucha Brothers, I don't know if they're still there. They just dropped the tag team titles in the main event of a Rebellion on Sunday. Um, but they were able to score Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix. And they were a great get for Impact. They were some fun tag team champions. They had a lot of awesome matches over the world title, Pentagon specifically. Um, those guys are awesome. So Impact getting them was huge. Brian Cage, Johnny Impact back in 2017. They got Moose a few years ago. Killer Cross is a great talent. Sammy Callahan, another great talent. So Impact is a pretty good roster. No buzz. 
but a good roster. Tessa Blanchard being another one for the women. She's like the crown jewel of that division uh, for the knockouts. I don't see him going to Impact. I feel like they'll definitely make him a deal. But uh, I, I I can't see Ambrose in Impact. I feel like he's better than Impact. In Impact, that's not a it's not a slight on their talent and who they have under contract right now. But I feel like Ambrose can do bigger than Impact. They also just recently signed Michael Elgin. Now, I don't, I mean, actually, you know what? I'll save my thoughts on Michael Elgin coming in for my Rebellion review because I have some more thoughts on that. But uh, yeah, they, they they've signed you know a decent amount of free agents from WWE, Ring of Honor in New Japan in the last couple of years, and they've all done pretty well for themselves. I don't think that we're, that's where Ambrose is going, though. There is New Japan. I don't see Ambrose going to New Japan. I don't see him up and moving to Japan. I, I do not see that happening. AEW is where I see Ambrose ending up ultimately. Whether it be at Double or Nothing or a little later on down the road, I'm not sure. But Double or Nothing, considering the circumstances, has got to be the perfect place for Ambrose to debut. Now, as they record this, you know, they have yet to announce Ambrose for the pay-per-view, but I don't think they should. The show's in another two or three weeks. It's already sold out. Now, if this is airing on pay-per-view or somewhere else on the internet, maybe they want to sell some extra buys for the show by advertising Ambrose for it, but it's a big enough card as it is. They have Jericho and Omega, the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks, Adam Page versus Neville, they have SCU in action. They have some women's matches on the card. They have a lot of big matches on that show. Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes. They don't need to advertise Ambrose in advance. They should have some big surprises on that pay-per-view, and Ambrose should be one of them. For one thing, he's from Las Vegas. So pure convenience, he should appear on the show. Maybe it's a one-off. Maybe he doesn't even sign to the EW full-time. I just think it would make the most sense for him to at least show up in the crowd. You know, people were hoping for this from CM Punk back at All In in September. It didn't happen. Ambrose is a lot more likely, especially now that we know he is a part of the independent scene once again as John Moxley. So there is that. Two, AEW, for as nice of a roster as they have, they need some more stars. Jericho is great. He's not going to be around forever. Kenny Omega is the ace of that company. But they need more people than just the fucking nucleus of the Bullet Club. Neville's a great start, uh, but they need more people than just that. They do. And I think Ambrose can be that guy. So I would have him show up at Double or Nothing. I think he's a great fit for that promotion. I'm not just saying that because you see all the fucking Cody gifts on Twitter. With like, oh, someone leaves WWE. They want to go to AEW. He'd probably get a pretty nice deal for himself to not wrestle as much as he was in WWE where he was the workhorse for many, many years. And it paid off nicely. You know, it paid off handsomely for him in, in the form of many titles and a world championship run, but he never really felt like the guy that he could have been in WWE. That can change in AEW. That's my prediction for where I think Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, whatever you want to call him, will end up in the not-so-distant future. But I want to hear from you guys. Where do you guys think Dean Ambrose is going to end up when all is said and done? Will it be Ring of Honor? Will it be Impact? Will it be AEW? Will it be another promotion we're not thinking of? Could it be New Japan? Could he make the stretch in traveling to Japan and doing New Japan shows? Who knows? Will it be back in WWE? I've actually seen that theory on Twitter that, oh, WWE produced this video package. People still fucking believe that Dean Ambrose is not leaving WWE. I will eat my hat, and I wear many hats. I will eat all of them. If Dean Ambrose ends back up in WWE, this is all of ruse, and that people are saying, well, why wouldn't this be WWE? Clearly, it's a WWE production. Clearly, they're just bringing him back as John Moxley. Clearly, it's just a repackaging of the Dean Ambrose character. No, it's fucking not. He's gone. He's gone, people. And as soon as he starts making appearances for places like Double or Nothing and the independent scene, I really hope a lot of these people will shut the fuck up about Dean Ambrose not leaving WWE. This is not all some elaborate plan. Not everything is a work, people. I thought we moved past this a couple months ago. It makes absolutely no sense to bring Dean Ambrose into WWE as John Moxley when they don't even own the rights to that name. Why would they repackage him, re-Christian him under a new name when it's not even necessary? That makes very little sense. For all the farewells that they gave him and all this other stuff, it makes no sense for Dean Ambrose to be repackaged as John Moxley when Dean Ambrose is already established within the WWE. <laughs> like, why would you do that? I could see them changing 
fucking Michael McGillicuddy's name to Curtis Axel because the McGillicuddy name sucked and no one really cared about him anyway. It didn't matter if they changed the name. Dean Ambrose has been in the main roster, has been on the main roster for almost seven years. Why would they change him to John Moxley now? A name they don't even own and that most WWE fans are not aware of or familiar with. That makes no sense. I could see why people would think that based off the vignette that went up on Twitter on Tuesday. Stop it, people. Stop it. If people are still saying this, like, could, imagine, could you imagine him showing up a double or nothing and he makes an appearance, he announces he signed, and people are still speculating even at that point, oh, well, he's obviously still in WWE. He's just worked out an agreement with AEW and he can do both companies and it's all a ruse and blah, 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 like shut the fuck up. He's not resigning with WWE. I thought there was a, there was a very small chance that in the end his mind could have changed and that he would be sticking around with the rest of the shield and they would bring him back. But they gave him like five farewells. None of them were really all that good, unfortunately, but they promoted it in such a way And again, it's wrestling. Anything can happen. But at this point, I think it's pretty fucking clear that Dean Ambrose is not sticking around in WWE. None of this nonsense. Stop it. Just stop it. Get some help. Ever seen that Michael Jordan gif on Twitter? Stop it. Get some help. That's what I say to those people who still believe that Dean Ambrose is under the WWE umbrella. He's not. Move on. Anyway, Ambrose was very wise. To turn down the money offered to him by the WWE to stick around for another, what, five years, whatever the deal was. The Revival did something similar this past week. It was reported by Fightful.com that the Revival had been offered $500,000 deals each. Not a year either. Each. For X amount of years. Maybe a new three-year deal, whatever it was. They turned them down. And we saw the result on Raw this week. When they were involved in a fucking back-shaving segment with the Usos. The Usos, after beating Gallows and Anderson on Raw this week, showed exclusive footage that fans would not believe of Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder shaving each other's backs backstage in the shower area. This is as close as you can get to the Attitude Era, at least the worst parts of it, in today's WWE. Without going too far... And it's still stupid. Is it really that? Is it really that much to ask for a feud between these two teams over just the mere argument that they're among the best tandems in the world today? Can't they just feud over that? Feud over the fact? Feud over the debate of which team is better, the Usos or the Revival? Why do we have to include such fucking nonsense like Dash and Dawson shaving each other's backs? And obviously we know the answer. They did this because they know they aren't resigning and they want to bury them on the way out. They lost to fucking Ryder and Hawkins again. And I thought it was okay when they did that a few weeks ago and they had Hawkins and Ryder beat the Revival for the Raw Tag Team titles. Whatever. I thought that was fine. I liked the story. Why do the match again? I'm glad Hawkins and Ryder won. I'm not saying they should have lost. But why book the match in the fucking first place? I don't get it. Why book it in the first place? If you're going to have the Revival lose again, therefore not really making them to look like much of a threat to the Usos when they eventually clash, whether it be a Money in the Bank, next weekend Raw, whatever. They look like fucking losers, which I know is the purpose because they know they're on their way out and they don't care about how they look on their way out of the company. Now, it's different than Anderson and Gallows, who aren't even on TV, who are also very clearly on their way out, which is a shame but it's, it could not be more apparent that Gallows and Anderson are headed to the door of WWE and will not be coming back because they are not they have not been happily uh, happy with their creative over the last couple of years, and I don't blame them. But, you know, there's a difference between booking them to look like threats to the Usos in their, you know, five-minute match on Raw this week, which I thought was good. Why even move them to Raw in the first place is another thing, though. Unless they intend to reunite them with AJ Styles which I think would be cool, maybe as a heel faction, whatever. I'd be all for that. Aside from that, and the fact that the superstar shakeup is still fucking going on, because Hawkins, or not Hawkins, Gallows and Anderson were members of the SmackDown roster, but brought over to Raw this week. The shakeup was two weeks ago. And don't even give me this shit. Some moron from Twitter tried to tweet me on Monday saying, oh, pay attention, they're saying that the shakeup 
continued and that blah, 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 it wasn't a one blah, 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 blah. like they're obviously retconning shit and saying that it's a multi-week event because they weren't originally planning on being they weren't originally planning on it being a multi-week event I don't understand what people are missing here. It's always been a two-day event. You have people move from SmackDown to Raw on Monday, in the first night of the shakeup, the week after WrestleMania, and then you have people move from Raw to SmackDown the very next night. That's it. We move on. I could see why they moved Andrade back to SmackDown, therefore Zelina too, and then on, and then Aleister Black too. That was a fuck-up. I thought that was stupid. I'm glad they're on SmackDown, but I thought it was stupid that even happened in the first place. But still moving people two weeks after the shakeup, like the B team and Anderson and Gallows and Mahal and others, these other fucking losers, who cares? And it further devalues the shakeup in the process. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make the slightest bit of sense. And they wonder why their ratings are in the fucking toilet. It's because no one cares about the product because of shit like this. It's not the sole reason, but it absolutely, undoubtedly, 120% contributes to the issues with the product. Because if we're told to really, you know, told but not really told, to not give a shit about certain things like the shakeup, then why should I take these moves seriously in the future? Why should I watch the shakeup next year if we know that none of these moves matter and they can happen two weeks after the shakeup. Everyone was all up in arms a few weeks ago. Oh, the shakeup ratings are in the toilet. Maybe it's because of basketball. No, it's because there's no reason for people to watch the shows because they know these moves don't mean anything. They're devaluing the brain split. And I ranted all about this last week, so it's kind of beating a dead horse at this point, so I apologize. What was I even getting at here? Oh, the Anderson and Gallows thing. Yeah, they they, they look good against the Usos on Raw this week. That That's great. The Revival were not so lucky. They were involved in this stupid-ass segment. So dumb. And I know Alexa Bliss isn't quitting WWE, but the shoe thing was dumb, too. That she had on Raw this week? Oh, my God. Should I even bother reviewing Raw? Raw sucked. Raw sucked. The WWE Championship contract signing in the Lynch and Lacey Evans brawl, I thought were two very good segments on the show. Beyond that, Raw was abysmal. There was nothing of note that happened on Raw this week. It was pretty bad, so I probably won't do a formal review of the show, you know, after all. But yeah, the Revival thing was dumb. The Alexa Bliss and Naomi thing was stupid. The fucking, oh, I can't tie my shoes, I'm not wearing the right shoes, blah, blah, blah. It's so stupid. It's like they're creatively bankrupt. Who comes up with this shit? It's probably Vince McMahon, if we had to point fingers, but, you know, based off all the things that we've heard from former members of the creative team and stuff like that, but, good God... Just giving us a match and not really having anything exciting about it is one thing. But going out of your way to make people look stupid, like the Alexa Bliss shit, and then the revival nonsense, which we all know why that happened, because obviously, again, like I said, they're not resigning with a company. But that's it's that, that's one thing. That shit is one thing. When you book shit like this, like with the revival and Alexa Bliss, why would I have any inclination or incentive to tune into Raw next week when we know we might get more of the same bullshit. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Which I guess is my own problem, that I assume that this company will make sense more often than not, that I instill my faith in shit like this, and this is the result. The Revival, unfortunately, unlike Ambrose, their contracts are not up, reportedly, until April of 2020, which we knew a while ago when they first tried to quit, back in January, which WWE responded with, hey, here's a Raw tag team title, rain for you, which lasted all of a month or two. Here you go, even though they were booked like shit during that too. Um, they're not gone. They're not free and clear of WWE for another year. So if we see more of this shit over the next year, I would rather I would rather them not even be on TV, to be honest with you. Booking them to do this type of shit not only hinders them, but hinders my viewing experience of the show. Because I have to sit through this shit and show other people who don't watch wrestling but may walk in at any given second during any given segment and see stuff like this, it embarrasses me. So it's really a lose-lose for the Revival and for the fans. Not just the fans of the Revival, but fans of the show. Because this doesn't lead anywhere. It's just spiting them for the sake of fucking spiting them. It's ridiculous. And to top it all off, I think I talked about the Luke Harper thing last week. Now, they added time on it was Deal, um, which, actually, no, I did not talk about. That happened after the fact. Um, Luke Harper, who had requested his release, which I think I talked about two weeks ago here on the show, he requested his release, 
and then it was disclosed by various credible sources that he would not be getting his release. And not only that, but WWE tacked on multiple months to his contract, citing that you missed X amount of time um, due to injury. Now we're going to keep you another extra couple months. They've done this shit before with people like Rey Mysterio and a few others. But this is so fucking petty. Now Harper has to know that's the case, that his contract's up. Like, you got to stay loyal to your contract until it expires. He probably should have said nothing at all about wanting to leave. Because now that he's done that, they've added on another couple months. The Revival, same exact thing. The company knows they're not going to resign. Which, I guess it really isn't their fault because... When the people come up, you know, the, the officials come up to these wrestlers and they ask, hey, why don't you want to sign a new deal? And they say, I'm not going to. I mean, it's it's going to happen eventually, so it's not really their fault. But it's so fucking petty of this company, and it's only going to hurt them in the long run. Why would anyone from the independent scene, unless they're the biggest WWE fanboys in the world, want to go there aside from maybe the money if, if WWE paints themselves constantly as the bad guy in situations like this? Long term, it's a very dumb decision to do because it makes your company look fucking terrible. They look like the absolute biggest assholes in the world here by not just letting the guy go. And I guess it speaks highly to Harper that they view him as a star. Not really, not enough to do anything with him, really. But, you know, they view, you know, they, they, they view enough of him. They think enough of him to not let him go and go elsewhere. Like Ty Dillinger was not going to make a difference. Luke Harper, I also think, won't really make much of a difference in any other company. Um, but still, they, they should have at least let him sit out his contract, uh, through November, blah, 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 or have him do whatever through November, and we'll just let him go. If they don't want to let him go right now, that's fine. That's their prerogative. But adding on the extra months is pretty fucking bad. I know it's in their contract, and there's a clause that says that if you miss amount of time, that can be added onto your deal later, which is absolute bullshit, because accidents happen. If you have to get surgery, and it's fucking stupid, but, uh, that's, that's just what, that's just what it is, and it's, uh, it's a shame, but yeah, he's gonna be there for a few more months, at least through WrestleMania 36, and the Revival now, too, now Dash Wilder missed about two months of in-ring time a few years ago, um, because of an injury, I think, with his jaw, he had his jaw wired shut, and it was a whole, it was a whole ordeal back in 2017, and now they're adding on the two months that he missed to his current deal, so we may not be able to leave WWE unless something miraculous happens between now and then. June of 2020. That's unbelievable to me. That is, that's fucking crazy. But uh, yeah, that was Raw this week. Um, also real quickly from Raw. And I'll give my thoughts on Rebellion 2 at the end of the show. I don't want to forget about Impact's Rebellion pay-per-view from Sunday. But the only other really, the only other real worthwhile thing from Raw this week was the announcement of the... Money in the Bank competitors for both the men's and women's ladder matches. Now, I guess that I, I should include the SmackDown people in this too, so I don't have to give two different reviews here of Raw and SmackDown because both shows were pretty bad this week. For Raw, though, uh, real quick, it was announced on Raw that for the men, it's going to be Baron Corbin, Braun Strowman, Drew McIntyre, and Ricochet. Not a terrible field, but far from great, too, at least for Raw. That was pretty disappointing. Uh, first of all, wins and losses do not matter, regardless of what they tell you, because Bobby Roode, or rather Robert Roode, excuse me, beat Ricochet in Monday's Raw, uh, last week, actually, on, last Monday on Raw, he beat Ricochet clean as a sheet one-on-one, Ricochet ends up in the Money in the Bank ladder match, Roode is not even on the show this week, so, <laughs> again, it goes to show you how very little wins and losses mean in WWE, but I don't understand WWE's obsession with including past winners of the Money in the Bank briefcase in these matches. I don't get it. Baron Corbin and Braun Strowman should not be in this match. They are not good additions to this match at all. I would rather see Joe and Mysterio in their spot. Uh, they just That does nothing for me. Braun Strowman won it last year, cashed in and failed to win the title. And uh, he's, Braun is just on ice right now. I, honestly, I would rather see Joe and Strowman in Money in the Bank than have... Strowman being the ladder match because he's not winning. So I don't know why they would do that. Uh, Corbin, same thing. We know he's not winning. He won it two years ago, cashed in and failed to win the title like a fucking loser. And it's been all downhill for him since. Um, but yeah, we know he's not winning either. Ricochet, he's only in there for the flippity doo and all the high flying aerial shit, which is great. He'll be a great highlight. 
But a lot like, a lot like Ali on SmackDown, who was also added on Tuesday, uh, they're not winning. They're just in there to look cool and do some awesome shit, and that's about it. He's not winning. That leaves Drew McIntyre. He's my current pick to become Mr. Money in the Bank. I think they might have one from Raw, and then another one from SmackDown. Now, granted, they had two people from they had two people from Raw last year win in Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss. So it's not, you know, it's not set in stone that SmackDown has to get one, but they should after getting fucked over last year, including at Survivor Series too. Let's not forget that. And Raw won at the Royal Rumble with Seth Rollins winning. So <laughs> SmackDown is owed one at Money in the Bank. Um, but I still think McIntyre is winning the briefcase. Now, the men for SmackDown include Ali, Finn Balor, Randy Orton, and Andrade. So not a bad field. SmackDown's field is better. Orton, another guy who's won it before, has not been on TV in weeks. I'm not really sure why he's in the match. Just to give him a, other than just to give him a pay-per-view paycheck. Other than that, makes no sense. I guess they might be having him feud with Ali going into the event, which is cool, but the guy has barely been on the show since WrestleMania. He lost AJ Styles, and that was it. So I would not have put him in this match. I would have had him sit out the pay-per-view and just whatever, because I I don't really care to see Orton in the match. We know he's not winning. Andrade would be cool. Um, I don't see them going all the way with him just yet. It would be awesome, though. Ali is not winning. It's all for the flippity doodahs. That's, you know, cool, but he's not winning. Finn Balor would be nice, but he's the current Intercontinental Champion. Now, we have seen people win as champions in the past. The Miz did it as United States Champion a few years ago. Not a few, but it was like nine years ago. But it can be done. It can absolutely be done. I don't think Finn Balor is winning, though. So I got McIntyre for the men. For the women, we have Alexa Bliss, who pretended it was like some huge surprise that she was being added. She declared herself for the match on Monday's Raw. And you could just tell based off how she was talking that it would be her, which would have been fine had we not just seen this shit with the announcement of her becoming the host of WrestleMania like a month or two ago. So Alexa Bliss is in it. Another victim of, hey, she's won it before, let's put her in it. And I'm glad Alexa's in it, she's a big star, but she shouldn't win. And I don't think she will win. She won it last year. She cashed in the same night, became Raw Women's Champion. She's not winning. It wouldn't really make much sense anyway. Becky Lynch remains champion. We've already seen Alexa and Becky. I don't I don't really need to see that again. So Alexa's not winning. Dana Brooke, God forbid. Oh my God. This was hilarious. This whole segment sucked, by the way. The whole moment of bliss bullshit, terrible. Dana Brooke comes out. I think she might have been the first woman to be announced for it. No, Natalia was. Then it was Dana Brooke. Natalia, we know, is not winning. Not a big Natalia fan. She's going to be a good, you know, entry into the match. I think she's been involved in all the women's Money in the Bank ladder matches so far. Uh, she was in the first one. She was in the rematch on SmackDown, you know, like the next week after the pay-per-view in 2017. And she was in last year's, but she's not winning this year. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad she's in it, but she's just, she won't win. She'll, she'll be like the Shelton Benjamin of these matches where she's in it every year, but just never wins. Dana Brooke, I would assume, took Sasha's place. Uh, Sasha is still MIA. No timetable when she'll be back. Uh, Dana Brooke likely took her place, uh, which I guess makes sense because they've been pushing her recently. In main event, she beat Ruby Riot. She beat Alicia Fox. Officials, for whatever reason, aside from the fact that they may perceive her to be attractive or whatever, they see a lot in Dana Brooke. Other than, you know, Botox surgery, I'm not exactly sure what else they might see in her, but whatever. Uh, a lot of plastic surgery. But, you know, she's good. She seems like a nice enough person, don't want to shit on her, whatever. In the ring, though, she sucks. She's not good. So she came out on Monday's Raw during the Moment of Bliss segment and was complaining about her lack of opportunities. Her promo felt so forced and scripted, but whatever. And I'm just sitting here saying to myself, of course you never got opportunities, Chica. You're fucking terrible. You're awful. That's where your opportunities have been. They don't exist because you're bad. You suck. You're not good. Move on. Get over it. She's improved marginally in the last couple of years. Other than that, though, she's no good. She's not. So the whole complaints about where my opportunities been, why have I been looked over, it's because you're fucking terrible. Lana, the same exact thing. Thank God she's not in the match. That's the another reason why Lana wasn't in the match. Or, you know, why she has never really gotten much of an opportunity because she's not that good. Attractive, maybe. Skilled in the ring, don't let that confuse you with their lack of in-ring ability is what we should be talking about here. 
So we got those three. And then Natalia, Dana Brooke, Alexa Bliss. The fourth person. God, who was the fourth? Oh, Naomi, obviously. Fucking Naomi. So Naomi, I think, has the best chance of the Raw women to win it. But even then, I don't think Naomi's winning. Uh, that was Raw for the SmackDown portion of the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. It was announced on Tuesday that taking part in the belt will be Bailey, which I'm happy to see. Mandy Rose, who her and Sonya had to like fight, not fight for it, but they made each other feel bad and Sonya kind of willingly gave her the spot in the match. And it was a weird thing, so they might be teasing a split. I could see it being like with, if they have McIntyre win, if it's not Bailey winning for SmackDown, which I proposed last week here on the show, I could see it being Mandy Rose, absolutely. There's a very good chance of that happening. I could see them doing something to what they did, similar to what they did back in 2013 with the Rhodes Scholars, Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow. Rhodes was so close, and then Sandow like stole it right underneath his nose, and that's what led to the split, and and um, Cody Rhodes becoming a babyface soon after. Now with uh, Mandy and Sonya, I don't know who would go babyface. I guess Sonya. I'm not really sure how good of a babyface she would be, but it definitely looks like they're headed to a split, which I don't know why now, because they have women's tag team titles to uphold to, and they need more women's tag teams, so I don't know, really know why you would do that right now. But it, it's a thought. It's a thought. Uh, Mandy has potential, and I could see her becoming champion. I absolutely could see, not champ, well, champion too, but Miss Money in the Bank first. So Mandy Rose, Bailey, Ember Moon, and Carmella. Carmella, a lot like Bliss, only in the match because, I mean, she is established, but she also won the briefcase for the first time. Became the first ever Miss Money in the Bank a few years ago. And they have to have the former winners in the match. Why? Don't know. Don't care. She's not winning. Uh, Ember, maybe. Ember's a dark horse. Ember is very good. Um, she's just kind of awaiting an opportunity. Her mic skills are not great, I will say that. But in the ring, she's awesome. So this could be her launching pad to superstardom as well. So don't sleep on Ember Moon. Don't sleep on the War Goddess. But currently, my pick is Bailey. I said this. I said that last week. I'm going to stick to my prediction. I think Bailey wins. There's been a lot of talk about Bailey and her losses recently. She had a very good match with Becky Lynch on SmackDown this week. And Bailey lost again after losing to Charlotte the week before. This has got to be leading somewhere. And I think it's a heel turn with her becoming Miss Money in the Bank. And then she cashes, cashes in on Becky Lynch to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Maybe not the exact same night, which I proposed last week. I don't know if that's possible because they did that last year. It would be kind of running the risk of doing the same angle and be like, eh, it doesn't really feel that fresh. kind of feels lazy. They could always wait on it. So I could see Bailey becoming Miss Money in the Bank and then turning heel a little while down the road. But ultimately, all roads all road should lead to Bailey becoming a heel because it would be fresh for her. It would be something new for her to do. And there's other options. Naomi's an option. Ember Moon's an option. Mandy Rose is an option. And I'd be fine with them all winning. But Bailey, I think, could have the most interesting outcome of them all. And that was about it from Raw and SmackDown this week. The shows themselves were not good. Um, that was really all that happened on both shows. The Hardy Boys are no longer SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Um, Jeff Hardy got hurt. The reports were true. He's going to be out for a while. I thought it was like a minor sprain. According to Jeff on SmackDown, he may be out for like six to nine months. That's a long fucking time. So maybe Matt becomes broken again, woken again in his absence. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, they are no longer the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And that was it from Raw and SmackDown. Really nothing else much of note happened on both shows. Real quick, though, because I did promise to talk about it at the top of the show, Impact Rebellion from Sunday. I thought was a, it was a good pay-per-view. I'll run through the results real quickly. They added two matches to the card uh, right before the pay-per-view went live. Uh, and they included a six-man scramble match involving Ace Austin, Petey Williams, Aiden Prince, Cousin Jake, Jake Crist, and Eddie Edwards. The match was won by Ace Austin. Fun opener. Scarlett Bardo versus Rohit Raju, which was added at the last minute. It was pretty much exactly what you would expect. It was fine. Bardo went over. Uh, Moose in the North, which is Adam, or not, not Adam Page, Ethan Page, and uh, Josh Alexander, I believe his name is. They beat the Rascals in six-man tag team action. Good match. Ty Valkyrie handed Jordan Grace her first one-on-one defeat in Impact uh, when she retained her knockouts title. Good match. Rich Swan beat Sammy Callahan in an OVE rules match, basically no disqualification, to retain the Impact X Division title. Good match. Very good match, actually. Tessa Blanchard beat Gail Kim. Great match. Gail Kim, Gail Kim looked great. 
for someone who has not wrestled, I think, since October of 2017. That's a long time, so. Very good match. Blanchard went over. Um, Brian Cage beat Johnny Impact to finally win the Impact World title. Lance Storm was the special guest referee. Yes, you heard that right. Lance Storm, who I have not seen on national television in years, was the special guest referee because I think the pay-per-view took place in Canada. But yeah, this was a good match. Cage finally won and then was confronted by Michael Elgin afterward, who was recently under contract to New Japan. He was with Ring of Honor a few years ago, left, and then was in New Japan for a while, left, and is now an impact. He's a good he's a good get. He's a good wrestler. But there were rumors a while ago that he would be WWE bound. That WWE was interested in bringing him in. Now, here's the thing. I think part of the reason was either he passed on NXT. I think it's more likely that they passed on him. And I don't know if it was a case of, like, a lot like Moose, who they were also interested in bringing in a few years ago. I think Moose would have likely gone to WWE if the opportunity was there. They wanted him. They did some background checks. Moose was involved in some sort of, like, you know, domestic abuse case a while ago, like years ago. And they were like, eh, we don't really want the guy on our roster right now. So they passed on him, and he went to Impact instead. I don't know if the same thing would happen with Michael Elgin, I, I know something similar happened with him when he was with New Japan. I don't know if it was an old case or a new case. I think it was a new case where he was involved in some sort of domestic abuse case. Now, don't take my word for that. It was just it was some sort of hot water that he was a part of. And it caused a lot of people to sour on him really quickly. Not exactly that he was a fan favorite anyway. He wasn't exactly the you know wrestling fan's favorite pro wrestler in the world. But he's gotten some bad press since then. So, I read reports that WWE was interested, and they had to have known about that shit, because it was all recent. So, I don't know if it was a case of, oh, WWE wanted him, but they saw what he was involved in, and didn't want any part of it. I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think it might have been more of a case of, they were like, eh, we don't really want him after all. Which is fine, I think it's a good addition of the Impact roster. But... Uh, yeah, he's now an Impact, likely feeding with Brian Cage, who was hospitalized after Rebellion. Uh, there was a scare after he did like a Spanish fly spot off the top of the ramp or stage or ring or whatever it was, the ring apron. He's okay, I think. I haven't really heard much about it since then. But yeah, he got hurt, and it looks like they're setting up a Brian Cage-Michael Elgin feud over the Impact World title. The real main event on the show, which was the actual main event, thankfully, was the Full Metal Mayhem match for the Impact World Tag Team titles between LAX and the Lucha Brothers. Very good match. This was an awesome fucking match. These two teams work wonderfully together. They made great usage of the stipulation. And it really felt like the swan song for the Lucha Brothers in Impact. And they have since signed on, since signed on for exclusive deals in AEW. That was announced months ago. But they still stuck around in Impact, so... Maybe Rebellion was the last match, was the last show on their current deal. Because they did come in for the April pay-per-view last year. So that would seem to make sense. Um, but they're officially done, I think, just based off the roster coming out. That That has yet to be officially disclosed. But based off how this was handled here and the fact that they lost, I would assume they are AEW bound officially and exclusively coming out of Rebellion. It was a good show. Not a musty show, but with two title changes a great main event, and a couple of other really good matches with Blanchard and Kim, and the Swan and Callahan match. This was a thumbs-up show, hands down. And that's going to do it, guys, for today's edition of WrestleRant Radio for May 2nd, 2019. Thank you guys, as always, for checking out the show, listening, subscribing, supporting. It's awesome. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with uh, more thoughts on the world of WWE. Hopefully it's improved by then. And anything else that happens between now and then, we'll be talking about here on the show next Thursday. So if you want to get quick, easy access to WrestleRant Radio, aside from just checking out NextDayWrestling.net, which you should, because in addition to all the audio from WrestleRant Radio, all my reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Main Event, Impact, Ring of Honor, soon to be AEW, and everything else in between are available on the website. So if you haven't already checked it out, please do so. But uh, for WrestleRant Radio, simply search up WrestleRant Radio on your Apple Podcast app or anywhere where uh, podcasts are found on your streaming device. If you have an Android, simply search up WrestleRant Radio. 
rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. We're available on a lot of podcast platforms, so subscribe today. It is now easier than ever to check out WrestleRant Radio. So with all that being said, guys, just have an awesome rest of your week. We'll be back here next Thursday for an all-new episode. If you haven't already, as I said at the start of the show, check out Avengers Endgame. It's fucking amazing. Even if you're not an MCU fan, if you haven't seen any other movie, you might be confused, but you should enjoy it. It's awesome. Please do so um, as soon as possible. To avoid spoilers, check it out as soon as possible. And if you haven't already, check out my full review of Avengers Endgame on the YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham Gia Matthews. Have a great one, guys. I'm Graham Gia Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.